podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. And now, your hosts, Josh and Joe. Hello, and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm Josh, and I'm here with my co-host, Joe. What's going on, Josh? And our producer, Steve. Hey, guys. On this episode, we are going to close out and look back on this almost back to normal year of 2021. We'll discuss our favorite moments from the podcast, memorable events in our personal lives, and of course, our favorite music from this year. We're also excited to welcome back to the show writer and podcaster Rob Mitchum, who's going to be here to discuss and analyze his annual album of the year data chart, as well as talk about his personal favorite music of the year. It should be a really fun show, so let's get to it. this is the end of another crazy year, we figured it would be a good idea just to review some of the highs and lows of this past year in our personal life and what we hope for 2022. So Joe, why don't you get us started? What was great? What was not so great about this year? What do you hope to look forward to towards 2022? Well, uh, definitely the Dad Rocks podcast on the high list. Yep. We had a lot of memorable moments this year that, um, we're going to go over later in this episode, but, um, personally, you know, besides the podcast is, you know, I got a radio show. I was doing a radio show at my alma mater and in the fall, I got a show on WFMU, which is somewhere I wanted to be for a long time. And, uh, it was pretty cool to get on there. I'm on there every week. I'm one of their digital streams. So that was definitely a high. And, you know, with my family, my son entering high school this year, and he's now taller than me. <laughs> which he tells me every day. Um, there was a lot going on. I was telling you guys earlier, it's like a 24 seven morning to night, uh, you know, thing with having a, you know, 14 year old, a freshman in high school and all the different things he gets into, but he did get a, his first perm, <laughs> nuts, which nuts. now he actually just got his third now, right? perm That's big uh, amongst the other friends, day. Right? Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's very big. A conversation I had with many people who have kids or don't have kids was, yeah, that was usually their reaction. Like a perm, what a perm, <laughs> you know, on a boy. It's like, yeah, look at all this. Take a look, take a gander at any teenage yep. boy from like thirteen to what, like nineteen or something, and a lot of them, a large majority, have curly, you know, hair from perm. Usually, they're not. It's not natural. Some of them are natural, but. Is you really it, want to it get it because of soccer players or who's getting these? And- just a, no, it's just like the style. I mean, he's, he's shown me dozens and dozens of YouTube videos hmm. on boys getting perms. And um, again, he just got his third one because it, yeah. it grows out and he looks good. I mean, he's a handsome yep. kid, so he's had different hairstyles over the years. He had the, like the Ronaldo hair and the blonde tips, you know, hair years ago, like more like the Beckham yeah. style. I mean, he's had different hairstyles, but he makes it work for him. So he had that. And then he also was dying to get earrings, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I brought him to the mall. This is about maybe a month and a half ago now. And that was an interesting just moment of being a dad and, and having your son, you know, get earrings. But again, it's, it's trending when we were in high school, it really wasn't he kept asking me like, dad, you should get your ears pierced. <laughs> and I'm like, not really. Like, it's just something I never thought about ever getting my ears pierced. 
it wasn't really a popular thing. You'd be more of a tattoo guy. I'm more of like a, yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. So I've thought about getting a tattoo for many years. I was actually going to get it for my 40th. My wife wasn't too thrilled. Really? So she kind of talked me out of it for the moment. But my kids always ask me all the time, like, are you going to get a tattoo? A lot of talks of that and the earring stuff. You know, he's in high school. He was on varsity soccer, which was cool and going to those games. And now he's starting to walk home from school with uh, some girls. Some yeah. girls came over the house the other day, hang out with some boys and in, in, in a group. But that's starting. No dating yet. Know. But um, so, you know, there's a lot going on. All of a sudden there's, you know, yeah. perms and girls and earrings and all kinds of stuff. Still not into any rock music, unfortunately, yeah. which is, you know, whatever. It is what it is. One of our guests, uh, Stephen Hyden, was saying, you, know, you can't force the music, you know, onto your kids or you can try. Mm-hmm. I've tried a little bit, but. Um, wasn't really getting through, but otherwise, you know, my daughter is doing well too. She's also getting very tall in fifth grade and just otherwise, you know, I was trying to think throughout the year. I mean, so much happens now with COVID and just the news in general. I'm a huge JETS fan and that has definitely been a major low this whole fall. It's just getting worse and worse. And, you know, not that the giants are any better. Both teams are just, it's just Mm. unbelievable. they're going to have two of the top, like, five picks, right, though, yep. this, this draft? So, well, yeah, the Giants are going to have the next two picks, possibly. <laughs> like, they're going to – it's going to be, like, four of the top – it keeps changing, but four of the top, like, eight could be New York teams, which they yeah. both definitely need, and that's still not going to be enough to, well, to they, get them. If they can't draft GMs and head coaches, then I think they're going to be in trouble. I wish. No what, it's just so. crazy. So it's just so bad and, you know, venting every Sunday and, and – uh, <laughs> I'm sure other stuff happened. I was, you know, I was just a couple of notes from, from the year. Yeah. I was going to say, Joe, talk about, talk about just getting on the rock and soul on FMU. That's huge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, WFMU is a station that if you don't know, it's a, it's a free form station. Um, one of our previous guests this year, which we'll talk about Dwayne Harriet had a show on there, the Dwayne train for a decade. And it's just this long running free form station based out of Jersey city. I think it's like over 50 years old, maybe 60 years old. Tats a lot of famous fans over the years from Lou Reed and, and all kinds of people. And they started during COVID, they started two digital streams. One's called rock and soul. I started listening to it a lot, really dug a lot of the DJs and just mm-hmm. the general music. They were playing a lot of mostly sixties garage stuff and, and soul and seventies rock and stuff like that. Yeah. I got a show on there in November so now it's every Tuesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Get it on the like the WFMU app or the web. But it's been a blast. It's just one hour, but it is a challenge trying to fill in like a good one hour. Yeah. And I, I do really Without try to make it. Without repeating every week, right? Without, Without repeating. Cause I, and it's funny, there's, as, as Steve and Josh know, like in the, there's a live chat, which is very cool. You can. Very supportive. Very supportive. And there's like the same group of WFMU DJs and, and some fans that just are in there every week. I yep. mean, as soon as the show starts, the minute it starts, boom, some of these people are in there and yep. they listen to the whole show. And I'm like, I'm probably overthinking it, but yeah, like try not to repeat, trying, trying to, like to pick some obscure make, stuff, trying yeah. to impress them. I, f- I feel like I'm a good breath of like, not mainstream, but like kind of mainstream air of like that stream. I th- and everyone does dig it because I kind of mm-hmm. just go for like the bangers of whatever band, whatever genre I'm going for, whether it's garage rock or 70s punk or something, you know, just mm-hmm. go right to like the classic sometimes, mix in a few obscure stuff. But it is a challenge, you know, again, with having kids and things going on. It's hard to, I, 
I don't know how these other DJs do it. I mean, for 20 years, 25 years, some of them have multiple shows they're doing. Like Dwayne did a show for three hours a week. Yeah. And he was playing like nothing was mainstream. Nothing was like. But he's been doing it for like most of his life. Like that's the difference. I feel like, man, you know, with that conversation. Well, I mean, like you just. If you're doing it, it's like anything, right? How do you get good at anything is you just keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, you more define them, like all that music. It just takes so much time. Daisy so, doing you know. all vinyl to me, just uh, some of these DJs strictly are vinyl. It yes. Like how much mind. vinyl do they have? Yep. And week after week is just new stuff. They never repeat. So yeah. it's pretty impressive. I definitely recommend everyone just checking out the station and check out my show, but WFMU is a great resource to find music. If you find, you know, the right show for what you're into, there's a couple of cool rock shows on there that I definitely lean on to find new music. Everything's archived. All the playlists are up there. So yeah, it was, it's definitely been a, a bright spot. I was just working on it right before here. And it's like, you try to theme it up too a little bit, you know, my music tastes are definitely, as I was growing up, very mainstream, very, like I've leaned a lot on like rock radio, like New York rock radio. It's really just been the last five to 10 years, maybe, with like the advent of Spotify's, which I know is evil in many ways, but in other ways, it's very easy to, you know, find different things and and be exposed to different music. So, but yeah, that's definitely been a high for sure. And, um, you know, for 2022, just obviously we'll talk about it later, you know, try to stay safe and COVID's ramping up again. One of our buddies yeah. just told us he has COVID and um, <laughs> yeah. a lot of other people, you know, that we all know yeah. have it. It's crazy. So, I mean, that's, that was basically my year. Josh, when do you go, when do you go next? Obviously doing this podcast has been a highlight specifically with all the great guests that we've had, many of whom I'm still really surprised were even willing to come <laughs> on to the show. Um, we'll talk about some of them later. I've also become a little obsessed with things about the show, specifically the statistics, which is not a bad thing because it helps keep me focused on making sure that we keep things going, that, you know, it's interesting to see where uh, our listeners are coming from, how many listeners we have per day, that that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the the big highlight for me this year was playing two gigs with my cover band. When this pandemic started, it was a really long time for me not playing live, but I was able to play a wedding in June, which was a little nerve wracking at first because I was a little nervous about practicing in a basement with five other guys for hours at a time. Luckily, we were in a, a, a spot where their windows were open, we could ventilate. So that made me you know, a little less anxious. And then just the gig itself, it was going to be in this room, 150 people, most of whom I knew were not going to be masked, may or may not have been vaccinated. So for me to play that gig, which was super fun, you know, looking back, it was going to be my like, let's get back to normal. This is what the new normal is, whatever kind of moment. And so I was like, okay, I did this. I survived. I'm ready to go. And then, of course, the Delta wave hit like a month later. So that was, um, you know, a little jarring. <laughs> but it was so fun to play that that wedding gig. And then in September, we got to play at a, a, at a local porch fest. And so we were playing on someone's porch 
And that was super fun. But the best part about it was that we never practiced. We literally just talked to each other and we're like, here's the songs, practice on your own because we didn't have time to practice because the gig kind of came up last second. And then, you know, Joe will understand this. We could not hear or see each other. Like I was on one end of a like a wraparound porch and the bass player was on the opposite end. <laughs> so we could not even communicate like visually looking at That's each other. Hard. We just had to like listen to one one person kind of and just go with it. So like wow. it was it was super fun because we we ended up crushing the gig. It was like, we probably played the best that we played, you know, in a long time. You know, in general, just playing those gigs were, were super fun and just getting those muscles going again. Sadly, of course, you know, it's been, I don't know, five months since I've played with anyone at this point, um, four months. So that's been, you know, hopefully, you know, next year we'll be able to play again if, if things get back to more normal. Um, but another great thing about this past year was, you know, having not seen a show since, October 2019, I got to see two shows kind of like within a four-day time period in September. Of course, I wish I got to see more shows, but I I saw Dawes in Central Park and they were fantastic. Central Park Summer Stage is like my perfect outdoor venue. It's such a small, intimate space. It's easy to get to. There's always parking. They have great food, great, you know, beer selections. Um, And the sound is like almost always perfect. It was a beautiful night. The crowd was real chill, wasn't too packed. And I just had a great time. And then, you know, we all got to see Neil Francis at the Mercury Lounge. Yep. Great show. You know, obviously hanging out and and seeing it together was fantastic. And even though it was kind of nerve wracking being in such a small space, especially looking now at what happened with the LCD sound system shows, the fact that we came out of it unscathed is is fantastic. But it was such a great show. And the only thing I regret is not seeing, you know, bands like My Morning Jacket who came around. But, But it is what it is. Another highlight was going to Florida. It was the first time my son got to fly and he was able to see his great grandparents for the first time in almost two years. But the actual flying part was uh, not great, as Joe probably knows. When you fly with a toddler, it's not always the the best. It wasn't ear issues with my son. It was the kicking the seat in front of him both ways. You know, we were able to see, like I said, my my wife's grandparents, uh, my son's great grandparents. You know, we, we got to go to the beach. We got to go in the pool. He had a great time there. We got to see my aunt and, and cousins. So it was great being able to travel this year. And we later went to Margate. So another beach trip, which was super fun. Parenting wise, it's just been great seeing my son become a real kid. And it's it's amazing seeing his growth, especially cognitively the last year. You know, he's, well, he's able to talk in full sentences. He's able to make up stories. Like his imagination has just exploded. He always wants to tell stories about his stuffed animals. Um, he's playing pretend with his toys, making voices for them. He loves solving puzzles playing with his Duplos and Magnetiles, and he's just always wants to know how things work. He's, you know, interested in so many things. You know, he's singing songs. He's making up his own lyrics. You know, I sent you guys a video about, uh, you know, a couple of weeks yeah. ago. We were dancing and jamming out to Helter Skelter by the Beatles, and he was just screaming his own lyrics <laughs> and dancing in what could only be described as like an attempt at breakdancing, even though he doesn't know how to breakdance. He was just like kind of going crazy, which was amazing. But he was like, you know, instead of, you know, trying to sing along with the words, he was going, so it was, you know, like this, this situation of just like enjoying the moment. And, you know, for the next couple of days, he just wanted to dance to only vinyl records, which was great. You know, he only wanted me to put the records on. But, you know, he likes hearing me play drums. He kind of is interested in, in instruments, but we're hoping to get him into music classes next year, but you know, it would be just something that I would love for him to get into. But of course, you know, he's going to be his own person 
so I can't force him to do anything. And if he loves music and wants to play music, I'm here to help him. If not, no worries. You know, as long as he's healthy and doing well in school, that's all I really, you know, care about. Of course, he still needs to improve his behavior, but that's, you know, he's a toddler. And at least now he understands consequences a lot better. He's understanding that he can't act certain ways or people are not going to want to be around him, but that's still a work in progress. And my wife and I are continually working on patience, like not blowing up because Joe, you, you understand that when a toddler wants something or they're not doing what you want to, especially like right before bedtime and you're just done, you've had a long day at work and they're not being respectful. Um, you want to just scream, but you have to Big just time. be calm. And, yeah. We've all been there. We're, yeah, sure. I have 14 years of that, you know, just, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and yeah, we've, we've yelled a lot. And then there's times I know you're not supposed to yell, but it's hard after a while. If, it's it, hard in the moment. If the kid's it's really stubborn, hard in the moment. you know, of course we all start patiently. Everyone, everyone yeah. could, could start patiently, but like 30 minutes in or something of the same thing, you're like, okay. Enough's enough. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, it's it's you know still a work in progress on both sides of, of that situation. But he's done a lot better. Daycare's been saying like he's been acting a lot better, which is fantastic. Overall, you know, for what it was, my 2021 wasn't terrible. It wasn't fantastic. But uh, Steve, what about you? Yeah. So the biggest highlight uh, besides this podcast and like our really good guests that we were able to land this year was the return to live music. I felt that, like Josh had mentioned and and Joe had mentioned, was we weren't sure that was going to happen, how that was going to happen. And the Foo Fighters show that Joe, Graham, and I uh, ended up going with Rashmi, we had a great time. And it was pre what we even knew what to expect about how to attend a concert. You know, there was vaccine checks and everything like that. But it was just great to get back to live music. But every show I saw this year seemed to be, you know, Every band was like relishing in the moment. They were giving it their all. And yeah, just it felt great. It felt great to go to a Hanukkah show, Rio Latango. It felt great to see the OCs, who is like a band that will probably end up being like one of my most favorite live bands I've ever seen. Mm. So I'm looking forward to what happens, I guess, with boosters and and concerts. I feel like they're going to toe the line of, you know, safety versus space. And I don't know. I really I'm curious how it's going to work out. And then uh, aside from that, my work life has remained stable, luckily. But I did have two um, viral events at one of the jobs that (laughs) affected my work life. One at the beginning of the year, one at the end of the year, which made things interesting. I will uh, leave that up to (laughs) the ether. But uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, same thing, though, just very blessed to do work remotely, do what we're doing here in my job too, like setting up Zooms and cutting promos and making sure it all looks good. So very happy about that. And then I did two things that are kind of related to what I eventually want to do, which was I always wanted to do, I always wanted to do a streamed vinyl show. And so I built a a set of shelves behind me. I always wanted to do it anyway to hold my records Mm -hmm. in like a presentable way because I have just like the shelf in my closet. Went forward with that and really proud of it. But then I eventually wanted to do something else kind of special. And I followed a girl that I had found who had built a Adams family, I guess you would call it a miniature home. Yeah. And she, it kind of went viral. So I added her on Facebook, followed her group for a while. And I was like, is this going to be like really insanely expensive if I ask her, you know, for something? And she had made something that blew my mind, which was a music room. And it was, you know, amps, a little bit of like a a mini bar. Mm. And I think it had some stereo equipment. And I was like, "Okay, I want a form of that. Like, can you do that for me? And she had done it in a guitar, like hollowed out. And I was super into that. And I was like, "Okay, if, you know. And I kind of like gripped my teeth and I was like, 
how much are you going to charge for it? <laughs> she gave me the quote and I was just like, okay, this is amazing. Like she's eventually she's going to charge like five to six times this rate for sure. She's kind of, I guess, up and coming in that mm-hmm. world. So that's in progress. And I kind of was thinking that that will be, you know, something that I'll feature on the wall. Same thing. Like when I end up doing like a stream show, um, there's a guy you guys might have seen. I think I told Joe about this guy. He's, I think, Turkish, but he just sets up a camera like overhead of two turntables. He has a really nice room and it's just like a cool vibe. And I was like, I kind of want to do a form of that, but I want to interact more like he doesn't really talk to the audience. He doesn't really, you know, I kind of want to do some form of like educational thing or some form of almost like a theme per stream. So, yeah, looking forward to that, looking forward to the weather getting warmer. <laughs> and yeah, I just, you know, when I, when we talk about uh, just the show in general, I think that that like huge point of pride for me has always been that we have always done really good research and like really good at like, I guess, dealing with the interviews, you know, like that's something that I think has made me feel so proud this year. Like I look back and I listen to the interviews and we really were able to like get deep with a lot of people. So that was like a huge highlight for me. Yeah. Well, we, let's, let's go right into that then. I feel like, you know, you're right. I think we've also been fortunate that we've been able to get people we know and we, we wanted on the show uh, instead yep. of someone being like, Hey, do you want this person? We're like, who is this person? Then we have to do research on them, but you know, but because it's been people that we've wanted on the show Yep. and it's also been great, you know, in general that people have gone deep without us really pushing. Totally. Like, I feel like the Dwayne Harriet show, I oh went God. into it pretty much like knowing nothing about him, listening to his show a few times, doing very little research. I think uh, Joe and Steve, you guys knew him a little bit more, but not a even little that bit, much. Not, yeah. And yep. then he just went off on this huge, like major tangent yes, about like, all the different story. music that he's listened to in his yeah. life. And he got real deep and mentioned a lot of bands we had no idea about, but we just kind of let him go. And it just turned out to be an amazing interview. And, you know, one thing that was even more amazing about it is that he was doing it from, I think, his childhood bedroom in like Nebraska because he yes. was visiting his Yeah, that's his very family. interesting. Yep. It's funny. Yeah. So looking at this year, I think, you know, last year we had, you know, Rob, our guest on today. We had him last year yep. and we had Chris Ballou. And those two were just like, I can't believe we got them. Yeah. We were kind of like game planning who we'd ask. You know, we were definitely, I always put out feelers to people I know are not going to respond back. You know, we've gotten responses from some people. You know, the the fact that we got so many great people, especially in the second half of the year, even from Mm -hmm. the spring on, I'm amazed at like, you know, we started the year with my my buddy who I knew would probably come on and and my friend Ricky Johnson. uh, For those of you who listened to that episode, um, I thought that was a great conversation. Oh, yeah. And then I think the most surprising guest for me was was Adam Shanker. You know, I Mm -hmm. Joe, you know him very well. But then like it turned out to be that was another amazing conversation. That Yeah. And that was kind of a conversation I've kind of wanted to have with him since I met him 17 years ago. Um, through work. He's a, he's a New York City cameraman. I worked with him on and off for many years and I would just get these little pieces on shoots while we're setting up cameras and stuff. He would kind of dive in a little bit to his vinyl collection, to his you know concerts he had coming up. I never talked to him much sort of outside of work here and there, maybe messaging, but not too much. So this was like, I've been waiting for that conversation <laughs> for a long time to get like his full story because yep. he does have a very, he did, he does have a very interesting story kind of backstory with his father yes. growing up in New York. He had a lot of stuff, you know, if you guys haven't listened to it, 
definitely, you know, recommend it. Um, so that was like a real thrill. I mean, and then at the end of the episode, he gave us a kind of a sneak peek of his, of his yeah. basement, yeah. which there could be also a, a whole episode who knows down the line of just his, his house set up and memorabilia, the, you the, know, between his gear. vinyl collection posters. That's another, you whole guys went over to area. his house though. I think like a few months later, yes. I remember he I was over the summer. He invited us over. Yeah. Steve and I went, did see it and we, we could have been there. We were there for many hours. We could yeah. have been there all day. Oh, yeah. Just looking at his collection of vinyl, his art collection yep. is a whole other thing Beautiful as well. Art. And his basement with different rooms and, and different themed posters. I mean, he must have like 40 authentic Grateful Dead posters. Yep. Some are like, there's only five in existence or something, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's a whole thing that I, I've been, it's and with Dwayne too, you know, with, with, Getting back to Dwayne Harriet, Dwayne Train on WFMU, someone that I've listened to. And whenever I listen to WFMU all, all these years, I'm kind of like, who are these DJs? Who are these people? Like, what do they do and where do they come from? Right. And as especially Steve and I would listen to his show, we're like, who is, how does he know all this music, mm-hmm. you know, to do a three hour show of really obscure music? And so, yeah, like Josh said, he went really deep on his life and he's got a very fascinating backstory as well with his family being in music. Yeah. Seemingly every person in his family is either like a star of some <laughs> genre of music or they DJ in different or, countries. Yeah. And so that for both of them was very gratifying for me to hear their stories. And hopefully we'll maybe even have them, you know, back again. So what I, I feel like both of them could be guests if we do a vinyl episode. Oh, yeah. Which I oh, yeah. Feel like they would each need might, their own. We, yeah. Yeah. Episode. We would need to like talk about. I don't even know. We, that's something we would have to, we're going to have to sketch out. I definitely want to do that. And, and, and definitely we could do a multi-part series on, on, on vinyl records and collecting those. I think, you know, a couple of other guests that we had for us that were, were big, you know, we had Neil Francis on yeah. who we've all been a big fan of, especially all of like 2020. And mm-hmm. then this past year too, I feel like we got him at the right time. Like yes. he's now exploding, you know, not like super exploding, but like, whereas during the pandemic, he was kind of still just underneath the surface yeah. and, you know, people who knew, knew who he was. And then right after we interviewed him or right before we interviewed him, we got on like Dean Del Rey's podcast and things were just starting to bubble up. Yep. He played Red Rocks. Yep. After. He got a lot of festivals too. Yeah, he's got a lot of festivals. And once he, you know, I think the signing, his signing with ATO Records really pushed him to the next level. And I'll, I'll be frank, we've, we've, we've asked if he wants to come back on the show and his, his manager definitely seems like he'd be willing, but then he's also like, he's really busy. He's busy and, yeah. I, you know, and, and I'm like, hey, you know, look, I'm not going to push things. If he's, he's got his life, I'm really happy he even came on the show and he seemed to really enjoy talking to us. And it, it was great that, we had kind of a, almost like a, um, a a real musician conversation a, about yes. it, and he was able to to talk about stuff. So far, he's the only non-father that we've had on the show, but you know we've only been in existence for eighteen months. So you know it, it was it was definitely cool to have him. Uh, oh yeah, you know, big on. time. He was great. And then of course the 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 big fish for us was, was Steve Gorman yeah. of the Black Crows. You know, all of us being big Black Crows fans, and Joe and I especially him being one of our drumming idols or, you know, someone we've been listening to and trying to mimic, you know, I didn't say this in the podcast, but uh, I'll say it now. I used to have, um, when I was in high school, I used to want to be like, take over his spot. So I would like always practice along with uh, the By Your Side album, oh, like constantly and just drum along with that. And nice. it was to, to talk to him and not only just to talk to him, but for him to want to come on 
Like that was a thing. He even he was said so it on the, on the show. He said the the father aspect of this the show, and him yep. talking about parenting, was what got. Him. And that I think him. that was fantastic. Yeah. And then he was willing to talk about whatever you know else we wanted to. We could have talked to him for like seven hours, but mm-hmm. you know, and still not gotten through. Yeah, <laughs> it was a thrill. I mean, like like Josh said, it, yeah. For I've been listening to him since the first album. They were that was one of the first CDs I ever bought, nineteen ninety. Shake your money maker, and it's just as we're on the Zoom with him, it was a little surreal for sure. He's yeah. just someone oh, that yeah. we've talked about. Talked a lot about his book that he wrote uh, on the Black Crows. And and like you said, we're all huge fans. We've all seen him live many times. So it was amazing. And he was so good. He, like you said, we could have talked to him for hours and hours. Just all the guests this year were just, yeah. they went into really long stories. Um, People bared their souls big time. And they were, and they were very, they were very giving with their time, very too, giving, yep. you know, and, you know, we definitely worked around their schedules, but, you know, with Stephen Hyden, who I'm still shocked with his schedule, was willing to carve out a few hours for us mm-hmm. and then probably would have went on for another few hours if we yeah. didn't put the kibosh on it. Cause we were like, it's getting like, we didn't say this to him, but it was like, we were like looking at each other. It was like 10 o'clock and I'm like, I got to go to work tomorrow. Like I'm exhausted. And he was just ready to keep yeah, talking. Yeah. Time he was another one, uh, you know, I'm a massive fan. I said it on, on the episode. I've been reading him for, I guess, almost a decade now. Yeah. Um, all his books, his articles. I listened to practically every episode of his podcast, Celebration Rock, yep. when it was on. Um, just a dev, definitely a, a guy that I very high on my list that I wanted on the on the pod, and he definitely delivered. Perfect fit for um, the show too. Perfect fit. I feel like with him, it was when we talked about parenting. It was a little less than what I was. I thought it would it would be, but at the same time, like just the talking about all his projects was. Was great, and we had been trying to get him on for a, a while, and things just didn't work out schedule wise. But at least it got me listening to Radiohead again, so that was yeah, that was another a, big. There you go. Now you're- that was a that was a great thing. But you know, talking to him was was fantastic, and um, of course, you know, our, our last well, besides Rob, who's on today, our most recent guest uh, Jesse Thorne. Yeah. Uh, that was. While it had very little to do with music, and I wish we had more time and got into more of the music aspect because the, the brief conversation we had about his style of music and, and the hip hop that he listens to, obviously mm-hmm. we don't, or at least I don't, maybe Steve, Not as you much. do. Yeah. He definitely goes, Not as much, goes more yeah. deeper, but but yeah. yeah, like. You can see he has a real deep knowledge of it. Yeah. And of lyrics, I mean, there's so like much, was yeah. spouting them off off the top of his head. And we didn't also talk much about podcasting in general, which is something I wanted to talk about, which I'm, I'm glad, you know, we didn't because what he talked about his father and also yeah. about having a transgendered child and, and all of that and helping others, the emotion that came out of him and his willingness, obviously he didn't get as deep as he probably could have. Right. But it was much deeper than I anticipated. He was much more generous with what he was saying and just the fact that he was, you know, the time. Like when we when he was he popped on, he's like, I'm trying to sell my car. This guy's here. I'll be back in a few minutes. And then he, later on in the show, like he was like, I got a parent teacher conference yeah. later. You know, he didn't really want to go to it. But, he, you know, the fact that he still fit us in and he's running a major podcasting network and doing his own shows. Yeah, and has three kids. You know, for that, that I was expecting one thing and got a, got much more than I anticipated. Sure. But he's also just great. Mm-hmm. Like he's just a good person like he's just a good human being yeah. and, and and his parenting discussions were fantastic like again yeah, you definitely. know having the, the relationship between him and his father yeah I, I you know if you listen to that it's probably the episode where we interject the least mm. 
or at least especially for me, because I, what are you going to interject? Yeah. Like other than like asking about baseball when it comes yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. And, at the end. Yeah. You know, 80s baseball. Now that, that they was, he was great. And he was someone that I, I you know, I, I knew of for a long time and it was cool to learn his story, you know, for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I was just, again, shocked that he was willing to come on and kind of wanted to come on and, and did the show and, and gave us our time. You know, just like all of our guests who I, I, I thank if any of you guys are listening, which is, you know, would be amazing if you yeah, are. Thank you so much. I, we really appreciate your time and, and just the, the generosity you gave to us. But yeah, it was a great year for the podcast. I'm glad, we're, you know, keep it going. Thanks again, guys, for listening and um, stay tuned for the interview with uh, Rob Mitchum. Hey, it's Neil Francis, and you're listening to Dad Rocks. We'd now like to welcome back to the podcast for the third time, writer and podcaster Rob Mitchum. Rob, welcome back to the show. How have you been? Uh, Pretty good. Thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, Yeah, it's been... Been several months. Uh, things, you know, seem mostly the same. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Headed into another winter here uh, in pandemic conditions, but yeah. you know, it's been it's been a good year. I can no complaints. Yep. That's great. That's great. Family's doing well. Kids are doing great. Oh yeah, everybody's everybody's hanging in there. Just got through tenth uh, birthday party weekend. Ooh. Oh nice. Very nice. All that was very successful, and now it's the the run into Christmas. So I know yeah, <laughs> things are hectic, but but happy. That's good. I was taking a, a computer science class uh, earlier this year, and one of my my classmates actually quoted uh, one of your articles. Uh, I forget. I think it was on di- probably on digital learning or something like that. Um, I think it was that, the was dark like, patterns one, right? Yes, that, that's what it was. Yes, yeah. yes, the dark patterns about how uh, how companies are, are using data to to mine us, and, yeah. you know, to find out what we want. So. You know, we have Rob back again this year, like we had him last year to discuss his album of the year data chart. And so, Rob, for those that didn't hear this last year or totally forgot or have never heard this before, can you explain what this data chart is and and how you get all the data and come up with your uh, final rankings? Right. So for nine years running now, I have just basically created a spreadsheet where I dump all the rankings from all the album of the year lists I can find online every year. So I started this as just a personal project to uh, basically figure out what I missed over the course of the year. I do music writing as mostly a hobby. I used to do it sort of, I guess, semi-professionally, I would say, but sort of stopped keeping up with everything, the day-to-day of what music was coming out. So this is a good way to catch up at the end of the year and put together my own list for the end of the year. I came up with some semi-arbitrary rules about what I would include. I was only including websites that had staff lists as opposed to just one critic posting their list. I only picked websites that ranked 50 albums or more just so I could get some of the weird stuff that tends to pop up at the bottom <laughs> of lists. And I uh, only picked lists that were multi-genre. 
So I didn't want like, you know, just a heavy metal magazine that only put out heavy metal records. I find those lists very fascinating, but it wouldn't really balance out if, if I included genre specific lists. So uh, it's usually about 20 to 25 lists right around Thanksgiving. They start coming out in England. They, they like to get bright and early and <laughs> in England with their album of the year lists, I put them in a spreadsheet. I put in their rank from one to 50. And then I've come up with a formula over the years that kind of uh, weighs consensus across all the lists. And then I organize the list by that consensus score. And I can kind of see, you know, what albums are rising to the top across all of the music magazine lists that come out every year. So what were the outcomes of this year's chart that most stuck out for you? You know, we're speaking here on December 13th. I think pretty much everything is in. There might be some stragglers, but all the big ones. Every year there's a couple magazines I'd never heard of that I add to the list. So Mm. sometimes you get some new ones. But yeah, this year, the interesting thing about this year is that it has been really wide open. Like some years you get, you know, particular albums that kind of are clearly the favorite number one. They end up, you know, topping maybe half the lists that I gather for the spreadsheet. So they kind of run away with it. Or, you know, you have two or three and there's kind of a fun horse race as I'm putting things in as, as the, the outcomes develop. This year, like, we have a number one that I think is probably going to stick. And that's an album by Little Sims. Yeah called Sometimes I Might Be Introvert. I'm going to be honest here. I had never heard of this album before I started putting the spreadsheet together, which probably just has to do with it coming from a scene that I do not really keep up with, which is, I believe, uh, British British hip-hop. Is she British? Yeah. She's kind of connected to the Salt world. She had guessed on a couple songs. I don't know if she was pre-Salt, but yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, not not something I kept tabs on this year. Uh, so I, it came out of nowhere for me. She has picked up a couple more lists just in the last update I did. And so she's now been number one on five of the lists that I've compiled. Wow. Wow. And that's out of 26 total. So five of 26, which is a little bit makes her more of a clear favorite than she was like a few days ago mm-hmm. when the front runners were all around one or two number ones Mm. uh, as far as being at the very top of different lists. She's pulled away a little bit with that. But after that, it's just a bunch of albums that are pretty tightly packed as far as uh, where they appear on the consensus score. Yeah. I mean, I think your number two is Tyler, the creator. I mean, I I listened to some of it. It's definitely not my bag at all. And I think someone, I don't know if it was commented on your, uh, on a tweet somewhere was basically like, is this just something that critics love? Because it was almost like, I guess, I don't know if anyone, I mean, obviously he has tens of millions of plays on this album, but it was almost just like, I, do you have any comment on that? I don't know. Because yeah. I didn't even know the album existed until this list and I listened to it and I was like, eh, you know. Every year I feel like a little bit more of an alien collecting this data. <laughs> because yeah. I, used I was to just know about it. to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like 10, well. 15 years ago, closer to 15 now, I guess. I used to know everything on the list. I had an opinion yeah. on everything I put on there. Mm-hmm. If there was an album I hadn't heard of, I could listen to it, you know, 10 times real quick and developed an opinion on it because I liked having opinions on things. Now it is totally shifted to being like, oh, they put out an album this year? Oh, I've never even heard of this person. What do they sound like? (laughs) And so, I mean, there's there's things that are very fun about that too. Uh, And it, you know, it's maybe this yeah, exactly. The purpose has shifted a little bit, but it, it's because I started it, you know, more as a music discovery project than as like a uh, music commentary, I guess, uh, that, that maybe that's even better that now I have more things to explore. So, yeah, Tyler, the creator yeah. is one who I remember, of course, way back from like Odd Future when that came up. Wasn't really into them at that time and haven't really kept up with his solo career. So I was, you know, 
I guess not surprised that he was still putting out albums, but that he was still so highly regarded that it would be a top 10 record. I figured he'd be like a middle of the road kind of guy uh, forever. Uh, but uh, I, I will admit I have not listened to that one yet, but uh, yeah. mm-hmm. people do seem to like it that I, that I trust. I was actually surprised and still remain surprised, but yet in a way it's it, like you were saying how it's being so wide open is that the floating points, Pharaoh Sanders, London Symphony Orchestra album is in the top five and it's holding its ranking. It's interesting that it's a meditative album. It's interesting that it's a jazz album. And it's interesting that it almost sent ripples through the music community, like the music uh, critic community for sure on Twitter was losing their mind over it. So I was just curious what your thoughts, have you listened to it or why do you think it had that staying power? Yeah, that's one that I did listen to a lot this year. And yeah, I so I put um, a genre column in my spreadsheet mm-hmm. and sometimes it gets really tricky. <laughs> and that <laughs> one is one that is very tricky. I usually let the internet decide for me if I can't decide. Mm-hmm. I just like search the album and find what genre it is. Sometimes if it's like a really crazy micro genre, I simplify it mm-hmm. a little bit. This one, the first uh, genre name that popped up for it was classical, I guess, because of the London Symphony Orchestra sure. part. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put in classical. And now I kind of <laughs> love that there's all this hip hop and indie and punk and rock uh, in the top. And then just out of nowhere, there's a classical album at number four. Yeah. Old and strong. Yeah. Fascinating album because, you know, it's of course, it's electronic. It's got this mm-hmm. legend of jazz. It's got the London Symphony Orchestra. It's, you know, very ambient electronic. It's not you know, like a dance record by any means. I will admit that I haven't totally connected with it. Like I would not put it in my top 10 at this point, Mm. but I love that an album like that has connected across, you know, so many lists. There was a great feature on Pitchfork just a couple of days ago uh, by Philip Sherburn, who writes about a lot of electronic music, uh, where he talked about sort of the trend of ambient jazz, basically. And that the, the Floating Points record was the big sort of headliner for that. But there's a bunch of other interesting albums in that genre, some of which I've checked out that I, it's a sound that really appeals to me. It's a description that really appeals to me. So I, I find it sort of an exciting movement, uh, even if this particular album didn't totally click. I know. Yeah. I didn't even know this album existed until this list, but I listened to it now because, you know, Pharrell Sanders, I'm going to listen to that. And it was definitely interesting because, and for it to be such, as Steve said, a meditative, like it was very repetitive. It's, it's like seven movements on the same theme almost. (laughs) And it's the fact that again, maybe it's because of the pandemic and people were just so had that, that mindset uh, for that to be so high. I, I, you know, obviously it looks like, you know, Mojo, which is a British magazine, right? That's, that was up there. Paste always has kind of a unique take on stuff uh, and they're always kind of out there just to see those as that's their number one album kind of, isn't that surprising? I feel like this wouldn't be something that would get picked up by like a Rolling Stone or, or even like um, a spin, I don't know if spin even exists anymore, you know, that kind of stuff. So it is great to see something like that out there. But at the same time, you know, you have someone like uh, Amdu Mokhtar, which is, you know, this African rock. And uh, I have a personal connection to that because the bass player was a camper of mine um, way back when. He's he's legitimately the best bass player I've ever played with in my life. And this was when he was like in his teens. Mm-hmm. But to see like, you know, I know he's been a darling of the kind of like the critics uh, for a while. But to see that he's, you know, up there again, that it's still like not a generic rock album it, it no. is african rock and for that to be you know so high up there is great to see as well yeah like a really it's a very eccentric top 10 if this is where we're landing mm-hmm. i mean i think you've you got sort of the two hip-hop records at the top and sort of rounding out the bottom you have sort of the indie singer-songwriter 
female fronted bands like yeah. the weather station yeah. or snail mail mm-hmm. Japanese breakfast is pretty high up there at number three. So yeah. between those it's, it's odd stuff. Like, I mean, the low album, it, so the low album is my favorite of the year. Nice. Just the hand there. Amazing. Um, yeah, good, and good it choice. is kind of a sequel to the low album from a few years ago. It feels like in a lot of ways, but it's, it's not an easy listen. Uh, no, it might be the most intense record of these, uh, they, unless Tyler, the creator had made a really intense record, which you might have The low album is probably the toughest listen of all of these. Cause the floating blanks record is as odd as it is, you know, you could put it on in the background and like your parents are going to yeah. complain. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> that's definitely an ambient, like that's a good studying music yeah. or just doing work to exactly Phil oh, beats to study too. Yeah. The low <laughs> album sound is so jagged and experimental and it's also like, almost sounds hymnal in points. Yeah. yeah. That's what I really love about it is that yeah. the music is so intense and so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But then at the center, you have, you know, Alan and Mimi, the two singers of low, the married couple at the heart of low uh, singing these beautiful harmonies. And I, I just love that contrast there. I think it does even a better job than double negative did, which was kind of just hard to listen to like blanket <laughs> hard mm-hmm. to listen to. This one has both like a sweet, center amidst all this chaotic sound and totally. i just think they they nailed it yep yeah i noticed that uh olivia rodrigo has is the highest charting pop um <laughs> yeah. person and you know good for her good good for olivia rodrigo i mean she's had this yeah. amazing year and I, I i like some of her songs some I like of the songs some of the actually hits. I, I enjoyed too we've we've talked about we've her talked on, about the podcast, on the podcast you know yeah. the that opening track was definitely yeah, brutal. I, I, I randomly listened to it and yeah. it was definitely like, what is this? I can't. And then like the rest is just pop music. And it was, it's definitely a really cool Good for you. Cool is it is a very catchy song. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. You know. I think we may have talked about this last year, but like yeah. my kids really got into pop radio. I think they started getting into it last year. And then this year they went, they like doubled down on it to the point that I don't have control of the car stereo anymore. It's oh, like no. only pop radio. Oh, no. That's how it goes. Let me um, tell you. Yes. And, so Olivia Rodrigo has been huge in our family. Mm-hmm. My son started taking guitar lessons and Brutal was one of the first songs they taught them. It's kind of nice and easy right? yeah. to teach beginner guitar players. I'm surprised she's not higher. I think it's a little bit the bias of the lists that I choose. Mm. Um, because I choose, you know, publications that list at least 50 albums, they tend to be less pop centric. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you include like, you know, like the Washington post critics, top 10 albums, I'm sure Olivia Rodrigo's in there and like things of the, you know, in that world. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of cultural impact, she deserves to be way high up there. Even, I think you're even starting to hear like knockoffs of her. Mm. Like she's brought this like alternative rock sort of sound back to pop radio in a way where you, like a year ago you had sort of dreary, like Billie Eilish type stuff, yep. <laughs> I guess yeah. was everywhere. And now I just heard, um, like another name who did skater boy. Oh, Avril Lavigne. She has a new song that sounds exactly like an Olivia Rodrigo. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not wild about her. There's stuff I like more on pop radio even, but I think definitely she deserves to be, you know, in the top 20 where she is. And there's a lot of pop people that put out albums, but did not no. even, Barely register like the Lord album, I think only was on two lists. That's a big shocker. The Billie Eilish one did okay, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of down there given what you might imagine that mm-hmm. that Silk Sonic record I hear all the time on the radio, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. That was more of a disappointment. Like I, I was yeah. really hyped up for that 
tipping my hand, uh, one of the songs on there is one of my favorite of the year. Whenever you have these super groups, it's always like the expectations are like sky high mm-hmm. and then it just comes out to be like a good album, but it's like, oh, you wish it was a little bit better. But I was more surprised and I'm going into it, maybe just because of the name, I would have expected Adele to be a lot higher, mm-hmm. you know, just because it seems like whatever she puts out is going to be yep. amazing. Mm-hmm. And not, not to say that it's it always, wasn't... Yep. A and it wasn't a good album. I listened to some of it. It was definitely a much more personal album. Like some of the the interlude stuff with her like talking to her son, and maybe that was it. But I, I definitely loved that it is really kind of like all over the place. And that you know, even like Courtney Barnett, I would have assumed would have been higher on yep. the list uh, than she was because she is definitely like a critic's darling type type deal. But mm-hmm. you know. Then again, it's like, you know, sometimes people make a couple great albums and then, you know, they, they don't, yeah. sometimes they take a dip. Yeah. Or you start, critics start taking them for granted. That happens a lot. Also too. That. Yep. Yeah. Or like the Kanye West album, <laughs> barely registered, the Drake album, barely registered. It was all you heard about for a couple of weeks and then they yeah. just disappeared. True. So a lot of things you maybe would have thought would be up at the top, just kind of got memory old right away yeah so I'm, I'm happy though i think it's it's a really interesting year and i've still just like barely started to dig into it really mm. i'm excited to find some new favorites in it yeah i never heard of what was it the coral coral island i never heard of them and it was definitely that's like right up my alley of like power pop type stuff didn't realize this it was it was their fifth album and so it's like <laughs> you know that's another band that i'm gonna have to to go through and um to check out you know really appreciate this because i mean your list last year helped me discover or listen to a couple of bands and then like after seeing Haim so high, I listened to their their album last year and then just became obsessed with them for like a few months. And, you know, this is this kind of stuff is so great to have. What was that tab that you did last year, Rob? That was like such a huge discovery tool. I forget. It was the ones that were like ranked highly, but only in like one or two blogs. That one was like super informative, I thought. Yeah, I've done this a few years. I haven't got around to it this year. Just like some under the hood talk. Last year, I had a data scientist who I worked with who wrote a script that would just automatically scrape the albums and put it into the spreadsheet for me so I didn't have to do all the manual data entry and I could do like other fun stuff. Mm. Well, he went and got a a real job doing data science (laughs) Ah. uh, and and ended up dying this year. So I haven't quite, I've been just barely keeping up with the list as they come out and haven't had a time, a chance to do that. But yeah, it's called the sleepers tab. Sleepers, yeah. It'll appear on there eventually, especially now that the lists are starting to slow down. But yeah, that's one where I just take the biggest difference between just the raw average consensus score because the consensus analyzes you if you don't appear on a list. Mm -hmm. So if you're a really obscure record that only appears on two or three lists, but very highly, uh, you won't show up on the general list, but you will rise to the top of the sleeper list. So that's that is always a good place to find eccentric records that a lot of people maybe had just missed. Yeah. I noticed too, um, looking at some of the trends I was trying to pick out of your uh, chart and last year it was a rumble. And now this year, I feel like England dominated so many lists. It's crazy. The Little Sims album, like you mentioned, Idols, Salt, Wolf Alice, Floating Points, Black Country, New Road, Black Midi, Dry Cleaning, Squid, and a bunch of others. And I'm just curious, even Wet Leg is kind of like had a lot of buzz with their singles. Do you see that something's just happening in the UK or is what do you think that is? Yeah, I always call this my Sleaford Mods test. <laughs> like, so do you guys, do you know Sleaford, Sleaford, Sleaford? I'm not sure how to say it, but they're like a British, I guess they're hip hop. They're kind of like noise rock slash hip hop. And it's just like an angry British man <laughs> yelling over hip hop beats. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they have an album every year. 
and all the UK magazines love it. Mm-hmm. The first few lists I put in, it's always in like the top 10. Yeah. I'm like, really? There's another Slayford Mods album? I know. <laughs> and, and then it just drops down as I put in more American lists. So, but this this year there was another one uh, and it hasn't dropped as far as I expected. It's still hanging around like 22. Yeah. So I think I would love for it to be like a musical narrative about England producing great music. I think what might be happening is I think there's fewer American music magazines and maybe, you know, the same or even more British music magazines. I think it has more mm. to do with like the media landscape than the musical landscape, sure. which is sad. I mean, you talked about spin, you mentioned, uh, so spin still does exist. So it's kind of like zombie spin mm, at yeah. this point. They only list 30 albums, so I don't include them on the list anymore, mm. but that, you know, would have been, you know, one of the big heavy hitters every year. Totally. Like what does spin think are the top 50 albums? And now it's like inconsequential. Like people don't even really know if they are still putting it out anymore. So I think what you're seeing there, the extra UK bias is probably more that there's just a lot of music press in England, even to this day. Uh, so they've been able to put their, their thumb on the scale a little bit more yep. uh, when you put all these lists together. Josh and Steve know I, I went to London two years ago for a music festival, All Point East Music Fest, which was phenomenal. Strokes, Tours, Courtney Barnett, Johnny Marr, Parquet Court. It was like indie rock or rock, like start top to bottom, which is hard to find here. But I could just, I told these guys like, I saw in five minutes, like just the enthusiasm or the passion for that music mm-hmm. way more than any concert almost that I've been to here in, you know, yep. tri-state area. We went to Rough Trade Records. It was just the whole vibe there, just walking around. I was like, this is more my scene. This is like very music centered, I don't know, community over there. I could just tell just from being there for a week. So. Yeah. And I always think like about the English scene, like you know, England is like the size of a state, (laughs) right? Like one state of the United States. So if a band is, you know, small, but, you know, catches some momentum, it's like the whole country hears about it and gets into it. Whereas here it would be like a slower crawl or maybe it wouldn't even go outside of like New York. Yeah. uh, Because you have to deal with like totally different cultures and markets in different parts of the country. So England once some band gets a tailwind, they're like all in on it. <laughs> so squid yes. comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> like a post-punk album or dry cleaning is dry cleaning English or they're British. They're British. Yeah. They're British, but, yeah. So, uh, but they're so kind bands, of post-punk bands. They find 10 post-punk bands every year that they get. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. That's another yeah. thing. I feel like it's way too post-punk heavy over there now. So mm-hmm. maybe they'll, they'll break out. Now a trend last year that you mentioned, a lot of women were like high on the list last mm-hmm. year. And, you know, I'm just looking through and I don't know everyone, but it still seems, you know, definitely not as many near the top, but there's definitely, you know, with Japanese breakfast and snail mail, uh, snail mail. Yeah. And Olivia Rodrigo being up there, Cassandra Jenkins, Jasmine uh, Sullivan, even Lil Sims being the number one, you know, it's like, do you feel that there is a trend in music in general where women are throughout all genres are, are kind of coming back to be on top? Yeah. No, I think it's the trend is continuing. And I think you see it the most in hip hop and indie mm-hmm. where, you know, so most familiar with indie rock type musicians, I guess. And there it really feels like this sort of female singer songwriter archetype is dominant right now. And even in hip hop, I mean, I think, you know, we talked about Kanye West and Drake barely registering and whether you're talking about pop radio or whether you're talking about critics lists, it just seems like the female stars are way more successful uh, right now than the male stars. So, you know, country doesn't tend to get onto these lists. I've had a couple of people tweet at me this year, which is a newer thing that 
lists are totally missing out on what's going on in country or like Americana. And it's not well reflected in this. When I do these, I think that's probably right. But even there, I think, you know, the country records that did make it are like Casey Musgraves, who's kind of crossed over yep. in a Taylor Swift mm-hmm. way, I guess, yep. but, or like Brandy Carlisle yep. or people like that. Um, so, and even Taylor Swift, her like remake album mm-hmm. has, yeah. has shown up on here, which is a more country, her, her earlier country or stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's totally true. It really seems like critically, at least there is a lot more excitement around female artists now and it's 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 a multi-year trend at this point it just keeps keeps up yeah and you're not seeing a lot of bands again i think that was my other point last year Mm -hmm. is that you get a lot of solo artists and not a lot of bands now i I haven't run the numbers but maybe it has shifted a little bit because you know low dry cleaning md mokhtar is up there like war on drugs is creeping around the top 10 the verge of the top 10 turnstile so yeah, maybe it's reversing a little bit, but still mostly solo artists or solo artists recording under band type names. Yep. Just a comment about the the country music stuff. I feel I'm not tapped into all the music critic stuff, but I feel it's very much similar to jazz in that it doesn't, you know, like you mentioned, Casey Musgraves is a crossover. It doesn't cross over. Country doesn't really cross over into this pop rock indie world as much just like jazz doesn't do the same now some some jazz albums like a kamasi washington uh or even like a thundercat like that that kind of stuff i feel unless it's in that crossover mold they don't pop up on these lists at all because it's kind of like they're in their own little world versus you know indie rock pop it's just you know not i don't think it's the same usually mm-hmm. um, i could be wrong but i feel like they're literally even the record labels are just kind of like they're in totally different realms yeah it's like a it's a parallel industry in some ways i think mm-hmm. yeah jazz has made a run though and uh, again this might be the british bias a little bit because they have such a great scene right now in london mm-hmm. But like the Sons of Kemet album is in the top Mm, 20. And that's kind of like a, it's a great album for like being sort of a survey of what's going on in jazz right now. Because there's a lot of guest stars, Mm -hmm. uh, some great Chicago people on there too. So yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting how these things rise and fall, I guess. And as I said, if I included genre specific lists, you would get more representation from metal and country and jazz, sort of the niche sure. quote unquote genres, even though country it probably sells more records than any of these people. <laughs> um, yeah. But well, uh, of course, yeah. I mean, like, you know, country music is probably the most profitable genre right now. Sure. It's still, or even like, you know, my, my brother's in the EDM world. I don't know if any of these artists would be considered part of the EDM world. And that is a very profitable, uh, popular, you know, genre uh, <laughs> amongst amongst young people, especially. And maybe it's just because they just do singles and not albums a lot. That could be the, the case. But they're successfully touring and they have gigs every weekend, you know, all around the country. And it's like um, the music industry definitely has changed uh, a lot, you know even in like the last five years, but (laughs) it's, it is what it is. All right. So now we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk about our top albums, but we're going to give our top three favorite albums, top three favorite songs. And then because we are, you know, not huge vinyl collectors, but we are, well, Steve may be considered a huge vinyl collector. Um, <laughs> we're going to list our Rob favorite too. vinyl release of the year. 
And um, who wants to go first? Steve, go ahead. Let's do it. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Okay, so my top album of the year is a live album. And I had a hard time choosing a live album as my top album. But it's just, it kind of reflects what this year was, you know, what had happened this year. In that I finally got to see the OCs live. But the Levitation Sessions album has gotten so much play for me. And even though it is a live album, I will say that it's the aesthetic that kind of drew me in as being my top album of the year. The Levitation pressing is gorgeous. So it's my vinyl choice of the year too. The gatefold picture is gorgeous, everything about it. But I just think that as a band right now, they're doing the most interesting things when it comes to and obviously he gets in his lane. Uh, the band does itself, and so does John. But playing with two drummers, playing in basically what is a an abandoned factory that's illuminated by floodlights, one house lamp for some reason. Basically, they managed to make it still sound really vibrant and like a really good live recording. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I think I ranked it so high this year. And what's becoming a huge thing for me is that the OC's live actually, I think, sounds better than on record a lot. So songs on this album like The Dream, Web, Beat Quest, they just, they're becoming my favorite versions. And yeah, seeing him live this year with Joe was like an experience. It's like, <laughs> I kind of described it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was, it was I would describe it as like seeing lightning in a bottle and this like tornado and you just like hop on and you experience it and you're like, holy shit, what the heck is going on? This Very is amazing. Very visceral live yeah, performance. Yeah, it was. And, and it took some amazing photos at it. And Joe and I at the end were just looking at each other the whole time. It was a short set. It wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. Kind of like this, this album. And yeah, I, I just I can't say enough good things about what I think he's about, his DIY ethos, everything. So I think that kind of like tilted it to my number one. But I don't know anything he does. He, he does kraut rock. He does uh, experimental stuff really well. He does ambient stuff. He's, you know, making this collaborative album with a bunch of different artists all the time. So it's just I don't know. That's that's my first choice of the year. Yeah, I've been really into his um like John Dwyer's stuff that he's been posting to Bandcamp, which seemed to be just, yeah, a revolving cast of people. And yeah, you're mm -hmm. right. Crow Rock, some of it, some of it sounds like, like an ECM record. <laughs> like almost <laughs> like, yeah, it's, he's, he's showing sides of him that I did not know he had. So totally. that's cool. I'll check out the live album too. I, I, I agree. They're a great live band. I hadn't heard this one yet. I would say, even though I, like to hear it live to see the video version of it on youtube is it's just it adds so much more of his like mad professor you know he's playing with the the circuit bender and the keyboards and it's i don't know it's just great and then number two for me i felt like a lot of music this year was insanely down tempo insanely chill and very introspective and now this album my number two is introspective but it was cathartic and it had heaviness and it had a female singer that like brought this intense pain and emotion so um big brave vital 
which is this experimental metal band from Montreal. And the way that I discovered this album was a tweet. And I listened to the album and was blown away. But basically, I don't know. She, her name is Robin Wadi. She also plays guitar. But then there's this insanely talented drummer that's just, it's heavy. It's sludgy, but it's not fully metal, if that makes sense. Like, you know, I can't get into certain types of metal or certain types of heavy music unless it has some form of melody or some form of, you know, a good singing voice. And she brings it in this album. It's like, I think six or seven tracks, but the songs are a little bit longer. But some of the songs, she wails. She wails just as as heavily as any, you know, of the classic heavy singers, you know, that we've ever, you know, seen in the music world. And there's like times where the drummer is hitting either, I want to say it's tubular bells or an anvil. It's like heavy in some parts. I just I can't stop playing the album. I definitely would say that it's got like some parts that have like a Soundgarden vibe, some parts that almost sound like Black Sabbath, but again, not riding in that lane too much. I feel like as much as and I see that the OCs are kind of breaking out of his like Krautrock mold. There's a lot of these bands in that world that stick to the like Black Sabbath sound alike. This album is definitely like not it, I think. Highly recommend it. And then, yeah, number three, Los Hey What completely stopped me in my tracks as soon as I heard it. The tones and harmonies to me, like I was mentioning before, sound like neo hymnals. And it almost was like a perfect soundtrack to the morning that the world is going through in this pandemic in a certain way. Like it's I'm not saying that you don't want to like ease the pain, but these songs, I can just imagine you sitting sometimes and just feeling their vocals. All night disappearing hey that song more at the end i just every time i listen to that album i just get chills i can't you know <laughs> focus on anything else it's not like you were saying rob it's not an album that you can put on in the background you focus on it and i think the other two of my albums are kind of like that too and i think that that's what i needed this year was like cathartic music so that's my choice we talked briefly about um the get back documentary so my song of the year is, even though it's not a new song, quote unquote, <laughs> um, the Beatles, as you know, in the documentary, sing All Things Must Pass. And when I want to talk about being moved, that was one of the most moving parts of that whole entire documentary to me because it had so many things going on. George was like teaching this masterpiece to his brothers. And then obviously, you know that the song was not chosen for Let It Be or for Abbey Road, but also just hearing it in like such a lo-fi way and i've been gobbling up all of the demos from the super deluxe and i like them all but i think that this one the reason why i chose as my song of the year is because it kind of represents what could have been what the beatles meant and what they obviously aren't it's not a
obviously, you know, you see that All Things Must Pass became a huge hit for George. But in that film, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to hear how beautiful it is and it, that it didn't make a Beatles album. You know what I mean? I feel like with that, it was kind of when he originally shows it off. But then he also makes that comment about how he's ready to do his own thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was on that list when they were making the list of what they could do potentially for the the rooftop concert that made it on the list. Mm. So maybe it, it could, if you think about it, like the songs that made it on let it be were like literally the songs they just had ready. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it seemed like it. I'm, may, so, I'm still in episode two. So that's why I'm Sam, not commenting no. as much. No. It, it, it's been Sorry. a slog to get through, but yeah, I'm getting through it. But yeah. So it's <laughs> like kind of, I feel like that moment, like I totally get what you're saying, but it's almost like, that song may not have been ready sure. for it. Like if, if it was, if they had lasted another year, maybe it would have, it probably would have made a Beatles album. Sure. Yeah, but exactly. Who knows? Yep. And then Lowe's, uh, number two disappearing for a while. More was my favorite choice for number two, but disappearing just the hauntingness of it. Simple drone guitars, uh, just kind of disintegrates. And that sound had dominated this album. I need to hear the other album that Robin mentioned now to hear how it's kind of an extension. But it's just that and the vocal harmonies. And, and in my mind, this song, that's like, that's all you need. And there's just like pure emotion. To me, that still moves me. I would have picked a totally different track off that record. Interesting. So even though we both uh, found it, yeah, Days Like These to me would That's be my favorite. Beautiful. Favorite track of the entire year. Such an incredible song. Um, yeah, but sign of a great record that we both gravitated towards different tracks. Yep. And then um, I chose for number three was, and even though this album wasn't as strong as I think last year's albums, but Salt's Alcohol from the album Nine, it had such a nice groove. It was a really good neo soul song, but it also made me think that the last two albums of last year had a spoiled, but simple songs to me this year also seem to like rise to the top. So this song is super simple, simple groove, has background vocals that just kind of like repeat. And yet the song just had moved me so much. So it was very interesting. I already mentioned um, Levitation Sessions 2 is my vinyl choice of the year, mainly because of how gorgeous it is, aside from the music, aside from that it represented like a live concert during the pandemic. It's just a beautiful package. Levitation did a really good job of pressing it, the way it looks. And I can't say enough about how it looks on my shelf. So check it out. I'll uh, go next. I'll start with albums. I was talking to Steve about this earlier, and we both had a kind of a hard time choosing, we usually make a top 10 list amongst our friends and we email out. Uh, we've been doing that for like a decade. And as the years go on, I don't know, it's been harder to find 10 really good albums. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Rob, if, if you kind of feel the same, maybe like you were saying with some of this, the other music that gets pushed, Little Sims and things like that, it's not in our wheelhouse. So it's harder to find, you know, we're more in the rock world, but my number three pick is this band, Cool Ghouls. 
They're a San Francisco indie rock band. I stumbled upon them uh, through uh, WFMU. And it's just a really good album, really catchy, kind of refreshing album. They have great like Beach Boys harmonies mixed with kind of Grateful Dead-ish jams in there um, mixed with like indie rock. I don't know if they're on the, the the chart. I probably not. It seems like no one really talks about them. It was a quiet album, man. Yeah. But I think it's it's a really good album. I mean, I'm usually listening or kind of searching for catchy rock, catchy indie rock, catchy rock and roll. It's getting harder and harder to find <laughs> quality. Oh yeah, this is catchy. This is good. It's you know interesting. It's unique. They were on the Aquarium Drunkard list that Steve they sent were. out today. That's oh, so nice. They were. Good, so. good call. They were. Uh, I haven't checked that out yeah. yet. Good. That's, I, that's, I'm glad to hear um, that they're on yeah. there. I definitely have to check that out. But that's a, it is definitely a cool album. You had mentioned them early on in the year. I probably listened to them like for a few seconds. And then today when you mentioned them again, and then like I saw them on the list, I listened to the whole album. And it's definitely one that I want to listen to mm-hmm. again. It might have been one of my top if I had listened to it more over the course of the year. But definitely a lot of, uh, we were talking about it before, like definitely that Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, yep. Smile, yeah, like era surfing style with, lyrics and stuff. Yeah, and it definitely sounds like Todd Rundgren or even like uh, the Lemon Twigs, um, yeah, like that that kind of stuff. Uh, number two is a band that I did see on. I'm happy to see on this on this chart, pretty high up. That's a band that me and Steve are very into. We should have seen them yeah. last Monday. Unfortunately, their singer and their guitar player. Got COVID while they're in England. Yeah. They canceled the show in Brooklyn. It's uh, Amel and the Sniffers. Their album is Comfort to Me. Also a great vinyl. Just refreshing, awesome, kick-ass punk rock from Australia. Mm-hmm. Led by this woman, Amy, who's just a, a firecracker on stage. <laughs> and me and Steve Pure were anxious to, to see that live. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, we're going to have to wait till probably May. They're coming around uh, New York again. Yep. But, uh, and I saw, I saw them briefly at that London festival. Mm -hmm. Uh, they were on like the B stage. I mean, my buddy were like way far back, just kind of getting beers and walking around. And we both turned like, who is that? We kind of darted to the stage because she's just like going crazy on, uh, you know, on stage and kind of really captivating, but the album's really good. Some really strong tracks. a really good effort. I was really excited to hear it and uh, I've been spinning it a lot. My number one, I kind of echo everything that Steve said because <laughs> me and him were like obsessed with the OCs this year in 2021. Yeah. Go John Dwyer and uh, <laughs> Levitation Sessions 2, definitely number one. Other live album that is available on Bandcamp. It's called Live at Henry Miller, Big Sur. I think it was a the proceeds went to charity yep. during COVID. It was like a streaming 
thing, but that album's equally as good. It'll probably be on my top 10. Just, I'm just going to put both of them on there. Just they're, they're all com- completely different set lists, but mm-hmm. Levitation Sessions to me in 2021 is like the, just in general, that whole series of releases was my favorite rock of the year. Mm-hmm. There was a f- one with Ty Siegel, one with his band Fuzz, Night Beats. There was, yeah. um, and then there was Slift. Slift was amazing. Which is a great one that me and Steve are also waiting on for seemingly forever to get this vinyl. Maybe comes in a couple of weeks. Being shipped from around the world. It's not, not happening. <laughs> But uh, Slift one was amazing. That was filmed in a, uh, like a science lab or like this cool looking yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, Steve summed it up perfectly that, you know, we saw the show fall. They were great to me. They were just like, again, really refreshing rock, just catchy, but also, you know, they mix in a lot of different elements, psych rock and stuff like that. Um, my songs in no particular order, uh, Security by Amel and the Sniffers. Amazing song. my favorite song from that album year of the spider from shannon and the clams if you don't don't know who they are they mix You've been in spin that a lot too right yeah i play on that a lot on my show. on my radio show uh just really catchy they're like a mix of like surf garage psych 60s r&b I very catchy. It's on Dan Auerbach's uh, Easy Eye Sound label. And then this other song that I spent a lot um, is this woman, Floor, mm-hmm. from, um, I actually forget what country she's from now. I think Denmark or something. They play very, uh, it kind of reminds me of like watching like Austin Powers, like swinging London, <laughs> you know, 1965 or something, London kind of music. And there's this, and it's all sung in French, but uh, it's a great song, La Tribute des Trompettes. A very catchy song. Could have definitely been in an Austin Powers uh, soundtrack or something. My vinyl, that was actually my vinyl pick of the year was uh, that floor. Uh, it was re-released. It was originally released late 2020 in Spain on Bickerton Records, but it was re-released here in the U.S. by uh, 6131 Records. Just a beautiful package. The vinyl looks amazing and um, has like a pink s- splash thing going on. And um, the sound is just really, really good. It's just a great Great album. Um, the other vinyl pick was speaking to John Dwyer was one of his side projects came out in January, Witch Egg, which pitch I was looking up while you were doing your review, uh, Steve, and Pitchfork called the album an instrumental jazz garage jazz garage chimera. So that's yep. a pretty good summary of like it what is. it is, just this kind of avant-garde thing. An amazing that artwork. Really too. Cool. The, the cover amazing artwork. artwork. Is- it it kind of glows in the dark a little bit when you've got mm. like a crazy lights going on, which is pretty cool. It <laughs> kind of fits the, the music. So yep. Witch Egg, Floor, yeah, Emil and the Sniffers, OCs, 
levitation sessions in general were all my favorites of the year. Yeah, I I feel like this year again I'm I've was delinquent in listening to as much music as you guys were and, and catching up. And I I realized as I was going through uh, Rob's list, I definitely listened to more than I remember. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, I definitely listen to the Mad Lib album, album. you know, I, I own like, you know, a couple of the ones that are on there. I just totally forgot about it. I feel like this year, like between having a toddler at home and just the the craziness of this year, it, it, like things have just been wiped from my memory. Uh, but I know that I bought a bunch of new newer stuff this year, which has been been I'm proud of. And hopefully next year I'll buy, you know, more newer releases. Though I feel like I went back and bought like 2020 stuff this year. Yeah, that too. Some of the 2021 stuff. So my top three albums can be a little more mainstream than Joe and Steve's. Uh, well, at least two out of the three. Uh, my top album this year is uh, the My Morning Jacket self-titled album. I'm a big fan of theirs. I'm disappointed I missed them when they came through uh, New York this year. But this album is like a return to their their sound. And as I've mentioned to a couple of my friends, it sounds like a live a live set. Like it sounds like them doing their live music, uh, much more expansive, jammy songs, but just really great back to basics, almost like My Morning Jacket sound, much more crunchier guitars, some ethereal sounds. It's just, it's a really cool record. And for, so you know, after like the last two Waterfall albums, you know, having been spaced apart by five years, I, I was kind of missing that in my life. And this kind of re-energized my love of them because it was definitely waning after just being, you know, having nothing for a while. It's a great album, and it would have been also one of my vinyl picks. It looks gorgeous because the the packaging, like yeah, the special edition that they released, is like the 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 records are beautiful, and the packaging is beautiful, and they did a, they did a wonderful job of this. And they've been putting out stuff this past year with reissues. They they re, redid Z recently. Um, Okanokus is is being re released. And they did It Still Moves, I think, maybe last year. So they've been re-releasing a bunch of their old stuff, too, which has been great. And the live album was also wonderful. But this is just having great new My Morning Jacket music is is fantastic. And I was happy to see they made at least a few of the lists on, on Rob's uh, list, even though, you know, they're probably past their like their prime in terms of, of the critics loving them. They used to be really but, high. I remember back in the day, like yeah, the totally. second or third albums were always feel, like top five, you know. I feel like... Evil urges secured all like kind of crush that like it was like yeah, Z yeah. was their 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 apex and then because they kind of went a little more like mainstreamish like it kind of you know went away, but that that's my top album of the year. Uh, my second uh, the second album of the year uh, is Saint Vincent's Daddy's Home, which um, is you know I've mentioned I think the at least one of the songs uh, on the podcast earlier this year. It's a really cool album. It's definitely, you know, she always seems to change yeah. uh, genres and is kind Good of time. definitely like a chameleon. But this one was great. Like the the funk style, the, the soul style, like, you know, and the lyrics are very heavy. They talk about a lot of really heavy, heavy stuff. And I'm not usually a lyric guy, but like I was definitely digging deep into some of the songs. And it was it was such a good, fun album to listen to. Ooh, 
I, I want to like see it live again because her performances on SNL were yeah. like, eh. But the album came out so much she, better. She just played, um, I know, in New York. I was actually thinking, I was, I kept seeing it pop up, you know, my social mm. media, like coming up, she's coming. I'm like, I, I kind of, yeah. I think I should go yeah. see this. And then I didn't go, but. I love the, just that it came more alive than Mass Seduction, which I still love parts of Mass Seduction. Yeah. But I felt like, yeah, this album was good for her to kind of get into a more organic sound. Yeah. It's really good. My third favorite album is from this band that I don't think any of you guys have mm. heard of. Uh, maybe they're called the love me knots. Uh, and the album is called in space, a uh, buddy of mine, Mike from back in my grad school days in Kansas tweeted like a song to me. He's like, I heard this on the radio out here in St. Louis. You know, I, I, this was, I figured this was right up your alley and he was right. And it's like, it is some really trippy, like uh psych jazz, like almost mm. like if Medeski Martin Wood did sixties, sci-fi stuff it's it's really it's really cool um they're out of canada I want to say, I'm not sure if they're out of, I think they're out of Toronto, mm. but this album, it's like the minute I heard this and, and played it through, I was like, I need to buy this. I'm disappointed. I can't get the vinyl off Bandcamp anymore, but it's, it's really, really cool stuff. It's, it's great music to just like, just listen to in the background. Cause it, you know, it's instrumental jazz stuff, but it's like funk jazz and it's like fantastic. <laughs> uh, it was like a breath, a breath of fresh air for me because I've been kind of looking for something like this for so long. And it was just came up out of nowhere. And I'm like, Oh, this is, this is, this is what I love in terms of songs. Probably the, the song I listened to the most this year was former guest of the pod, Neil Francis's you can't stop the rain. Tell me what you It was definitely, you know, definitely different than his previous album. Uh, but this was, I think it's the best song on his new album. And it's one of the most fun songs that, um, you know, I've heard all year. And it's just, it's a catchy tune. It was in my head for many months. And to have uh, Derek Trucks on there was great too. And it's just a great song. And I, I love the fact that it's starting to get some airplay out here in New York on WFUV. Uh, I'm starting to hear it uh, um, on some of the shows. He had a lot of fun playing it live too, I think. They really got into it. Yeah. And it's it, it to me, it's like some of the newer stuff doesn't come off. Uh, at least, you know, it, it's gotten better over the, the last few months playing live, but this one has always sounded great live. The next uh, favorite song is one that I, I mentioned on the podcast uh, back early this spring. Uh, the piano player from Dawes, Lee Pardini, his, uh, from his uh, album uh, that he, it was a digital release. I think he's going to try to put it out in vinyl, but the song ETA, uh, great jazz. Again, it's definitely more of the funky 70s style stuff he's playing. I think uh, Rhodes or some sort of electric piano. It's it's great. The whole album is fantastic. And uh, this was definitely one of my favorite songs of the year. And then more recently, because I was like 
trying to dig deep and, and like try to remember some of the, my favorite songs. Um, I was just going through albums that I played and listened to. And then I, you know, went back and re-listened to the Silk Sonic album. I was like, oh yeah, this song is like a banger. Um, the, the song Fly As Me by Silk Sonic. It's, you know, definitely mainstream style stuff, but it's just one of those like super funky s- songs that just like you pop in and you will just start dancing. Extra flavor. Go ahead. Sprinkle some trouble on your mashed potatoes. I'm trying to love you. Is you going to love me back? Y'all only get what you get. Ain't you ready? I'm, I'm, I've become more of a, a fan of Anderson Pack and his grooves and his his uh, feel is is fantastic and it's just a super fun song and I've been it's been in my head the last couple of weeks so um, great tune and in terms of vinyl I was so happy they finally released this but the Daptone Super Soul Review Triple LP uh, their Live at the Apollo Three Night Run finally got released. I have a special connection to this because I was at one of the shows and it was the last time I saw Sharon Jones perform. And I'm excited because I, first off I bought the 3d version. So if you take the cover, it's like, you know, three panel, you take it out, you put the 3d glasses on it, like pops out, which yep. is great. The The booklet that it comes with is like gorgeous, such great photos. Yep. And it one looks of the cool amazing things in is the pictures. Yeah. yeah I'm very jealous. It, I, I, I may have to get it. Yeah. Too. It's great. And Steve, you got the Vinyl Me Please version, right? The blue, With the blue, the blue records? pressing was, yeah. it is, was in the running for my top because the same thing, just the gorgeousness of the blue. But yours... With that rainbow cover, it's all every whoever yeah, was behind all, it just yeah. did a really good job. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it took them. That show was in 2014, so it took them six, seven years to put out, and they I had, had that mix. documentary, which I finally watched. I think all the songs that were on the documentary, I think, were on the mm-hmm. album. So if you watch the documentary, all those tracks, which is cool, because I know a couple of those songs were I saw mm-hmm. live, and there's even a picture of the show I was at and you can barely make out. I mean, I know I'm there, but my wife and I, you can see really like it's, it, you barely can make out our outline, but that's where our seats were. Cause we were right on that first balcony, but we're off to the side, but it was, it, it's just a great record. And I'm so glad it came yeah. out. And I, I love the fact that I have that's it. Great. Rob, what are, what are some of your favorite albums and uh, songs or whatever you want to mention? Yeah. So I mentioned the low album was far away. My number one. So I won't, Go back over that. Um, another album that I think all of you would like and your listeners would like, there's a singer-songwriter named Rosali. Yes. She's from Philadelphia. Great album. Yeah. She had an album this year called No Medium, which I love. I hadn't really heard of her before. I know she's got a couple older albums, but uh, this one, a lot of it was recorded with the David Nance Group, which is a re- another really great band uh, that has kind of like a crazy horse mm-hmm. sound. Yes, very crazy horse. So, yeah. Uh, unlike, you know, a lot of the sort of women singer songwriter bands we were talking about, which tend to be a little more folky or a little more chamber poppy. Uh, this one has a real nice sort of hard rock totally. crunch to it. Definitely. Uh, I really like that record a lot. It was a great sort of band camp find this year. Wish I were better.
want to mention a couple albums by a guy named Joshua Abrams. I forget. I don't think I mentioned him last year, but he is my favorite Chicago musician by far. Uh, he's a bass player, but he mostly now plays an instrument called the Gimbri, mm. uh, which is an African instrument. It's a three string bass with sort of a percussive quality to it, too. Uh, his main band is called the Natural Information Society. Oh, yeah, you mentioned them. Uh, I did. OK, yeah. so they had a great live album mm. this year. Uh, it's got a long title. I'm going to look it up. Make sure I get it right. It's called Dissension Out of Our Constrictions. All their stuff is named very obliquely, which is hard to remember. Uh, but it's a double album, but it's just one continuous 75 minute uh, piece of music uh, that they recorded in England with Evan Parker, uh, the saxophonist. Uh, and it's great. It's got uh, an amazing rhythm to it. Uh, the uh, I'm blanking on the name of the drummer right now. I feel bad. Uh, but he's playing a lot of sort of Chicago house rhythms underneath this very drony, again, sort of ambient jazz uh, feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it ends up being very trancey, almost it feels electronic, even though it's an entirely acoustic instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like a great album just to put on and sort of hypnotize yourself with. Joshua Abrams also made a record uh, with a drummer named Chad Taylor, uh, who is a Chicago guy. I think he might be in New York now. They recorded under a band called Mind Maintenance, which is, you know, not only one of my favorite albums of the year, but probably the best named band (laughs) Uh, because that's exactly what it is. It's like another this one. It's not just one continuous piece of music, but it's a lot of just really great abstract droney soundscapes that are, are, are great to chill out to. a couple more i'll mention i i'm a big chicago guy i'm a big homer now uh for chicago musicians um and he's left for new york now too but uh riley walker's album this year is really great riley walker i don't know if any of you follow him on twitter he's a hilarious Mm -hmm. guy to follow on twitter uh he is a huge genesis fan Mm. like early early proggy genesis (laughs) uh but has never really made a a record that sounded like that until now (laughs) he made sort of a tortoisey genesis uh style record with these really ornate arrangements that i really love And then there's a band here called the Bitchin' Bajas. They play with Natural Information Society a lot. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, again, sort of ambient and droney, but uh, more electronic. Um, Cooper Crane is sort of the central figure in Bitchin' Bajas. He records, he produces almost everybody in Chicago, too, is a huge synthesizer nerd. Uh, it's usually two synthesizers and um, a guy, Rob Fry, who plays saxophone and also synthesizer. They put out a record this year. I think it only came out on tape, uh, though I have a digital wow. uh, download of it. Uh, that is a Sun Ra tribute album, and it's just like a perfect match. Uh, they had done a Sun Ra cover on their previous 
Bitchin' Baja's record, and this is just an entire uh, set mm. of Sun Ra music, and it sounds awesome because cool. it doesn't sound like a literal uh, cover of Sun Ra. Yeah, because they have totally different instruments, but it brings out that sort of spacey effect that Sun Ra himself was going for and plays a lot of weird early synthesizers and stuff. So a really great one to check out. Just one more to mention, um, a guitarist named Yasmin Williams. Mm. Uh, she's a solo acoustic guitarist. Came out early in the year, and I think it got forgotten a little bit because it hasn't really shown up on a ton of lists. Uh, but her album, Urban Driftwood, is really good. What I like about her, she's doing the sort of solo acoustic, you know, John Fahey thing that a lot of people have been doing in recent years. But she has, I think, a very unique take on it. And again, she uses her guitar as a percussion instrument as much as she does in the sort of standard traditional way. And I think it, it adds, you know, a really interesting take on this sort of acoustic instrumental folk that I have gotten really into the past few years. Singles, I don't really have a singles list. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I looked on my last FM while you were talking, and it's like all fish. Because <laughs> this crazy fish essay writing project that I do, uh, which makes, <clears throat> means I'm listening to a fish show basically every day. Wow. Uh, and so like the top 50 tracks are all fish songs. <laughs> um, I will mention a, a couple other live albums uh, on sort of the vinyl end that I really liked. Um, Neil Young has started putting out. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a funny thing. Uh, uh, so he, he's got all these series that he's putting out and he's started another one uh, called the bootleg series mm. like like dylan's mm -hmm. except what he's doing is literally taking bootlegs <laughs> that came out in the 70s and pressing them himself and putting it out wow. uh which is an wow. amazing idea because neil i don't know if you've ever seen the video of neil young going in a record store and complaining about them selling yes bootleg. yes you can find it on youtube it's great uh He's held, he's held a grudge for 50 years, and now he's finally getting back at the bootleggers by putting them out himself. Uh, so the first one he put out is a Carnegie Hall show from 1970. I need to hear that. Uh, mm. And he's put out a lot of music from that tour, like the Massey Hall show mm -hmm. is just a couple of months after that, and it's pretty much the same set list. expecting much but uh because it's neil he pressed it at like the finest german vinyl <laughs> uh print uh, press plant uh and it sounds incredible awesome. and he even left in like the taper talking at the start which i That's think is cool. a great yeah. touch mm. and he's gonna put out some that are some of my favorite neil young sets uh in the future uh. like the uh, was it the bottom the bottom line show uh, oh, cool. is, a, is a great one. The Rainbow Theater show on the Tonight's Night Tour when nobody, they were playing the whole album before the album came out and everybody was angry. And <laughs> for the encore, he said, we'll, we'll finally play one you've heard before. And he just played Tonight's the Night again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. Was um, that, I got the Roxy from the Tonight's the Night on vinyl recently that they must have repressed. And it's 
like you said, just amazing. I know that that band and that era is so good. So uh, the Rainbow Theater show is even better than the Roxy show. Um, so Ooh, hopefully yeah. that'll come out. Okay. He's a little, you know, iffy on it when things actually come out, but it's in the works. Uh, cool. And then another great live vinyl set that I got, uh, the band Can, the German band Can. Oh, I need yeah. to hear that They've too, started now. putting out some live archives of them, which is amazing because like Can, I've never gotten into them as much as I feel like I should because their reputation yeah, is that same. they were like, you know, the Grateful Dead of Europe, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there wasn't the taper scene that you had with the Grateful Dead. So you don't have tons of canned bootlegs. I mean, they're out there, but they're not like readily available like the Dead is. Uh, mm-hmm. So they put out two this year, I think. I think mine is in Stuttgart. And I think their one just came out in Hamburg. A can, I guess, at this point, just played entirely improvised sets. So it's just like mm. this in- oh, really man. intense, hard, crap rock, you know, funk rock. Just just relentlessly long song. triple vinyl i think it has four tracks technically but a couple of them spill over sides and things and it's just a very immersive experience uh i'm really glad i got it because i don't know the pattern you can tell probably is that i like long songs i like long instrumental (laughs) songs that i can just kind of like sink into with my headphones on at the end of the day and uh maybe I, i think i like to those before the pandemic but that's only brought it out even more <laughs> just, this is my uh, oh, yeah. my meditation at the end of the day is to listen to some of these uh, the cover of that can album looks awesome too i've seen it like all the, the stack of amplifiers mm-hmm. right it's like yeah, like, yeah and there's like weird like moth creatures on them and yeah uh, the one awesome i got cover. is orange yeah. vinyl and it's a triple gatefold and it's a whole thing oh. so i don't normally buy like sort of the gimmicky vinyl but i found that one <laughs> in a spot in a in my local shop and it was like yeah, I think I need to get this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an art piece. Sometimes you need it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, great to hear recommendations. I mean, the thing I love about this spreadsheet, just to tie it all together, um, is that, you know, right now I have 537 albums on it from 26 lists. I mean, you could spend all of next year catching up on 2021. Mm-hmm. And yet, wow. like half the albums you guys just talked about are not. It's not even on that list. So there's like yeah, a whole other yeah. world of albums that you could, you could dig up and, and find. So, you know, if the spreadsheet does nothing else, it helps people, I think, kind of navigate just the yearly flood of music yeah. and, you know, how easy it is to at least hear it and, and then hopefully, you know, buy it if you like it. So uh, it's, yep. yeah, Absolutely. it's always a pleasure to, to dig into these things at the end of the year. Well, well, Rob, it's been a pleasure having you on again, and we hope that you'll come back next year and discuss your, your data chart. Maybe if we're lucky and he's not too busy, we'll bring Hayden on as well. Um, now that he's finally come on the podcast and <laughs> you guys can, then again, you probably would have your own show and like be able to just talk for like three hours about all that That's stuff. That's the thing. We, kinda, um, we tend to dominate whatever uh, <laughs> we end up in. So if you guys yeah. want like a marathon four hours spectacular he definitely talked with us he oh talked, yeah he, he, was, he was we were surprised how long he went with us but it was great it's it's great to see you man great to talk to you um yeah man thanks again for coming yeah, on thank you so and, much uh, we hope you have a wonderful holiday season and uh, a happy uh, new year coming up and we'll talk All soon right, you guys too thanks so much
Thanks for listening to this episode, and special thanks again to Rob Mitchum for coming back on to the show. We hope this becomes an annual tradition as long as this podcast continues, as we love dissecting his end-of-the-year album, Data Chart. If you want to check out said data chart, you can click the link that is in this episode's description, which will take you directly to the Google Sheet. You can also find Rob's work at robmitchum.github.io. That's R-O-B-M-I-T-C-H-U-M dot G-I-T-H-U-B dot I-O. And if you're a deadhead, we strongly suggest checking out his podcast, 36 from the Vault, which he co-hosts with former guest Stephen Hyden. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast and tell your fellow loving music dads or moms or really anyone to check it out. And if you like or even love the podcast, we would really appreciate you giving us an honest review or clicking that like button. It really helps us out, and it would be great for us to know that you enjoy what you're hearing. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at DadRocksPod and also on Facebook by searching up DadRocks! If you have any questions, comments, or any show ideas for us, or just want to give us a shout, you can email us at dadrockspod at gmail.com. In the podcast description, you can find a link to the Spotify playlist that has all of the music you have heard on the podcast today. Finally, we hope that you had a wonderful and safe holiday season and that 2022 is better for all of us than 2021 has been. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to talking to you in the new year. And remember, dads, you rock. Thank you.